Equosity, a podcast about all things equine with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Curland. I'm the author of The Click That Teaches, a step-by-step guide in pictures, and many other books and DVDs on clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. And it's a beautiful, beautiful fall day where I am. And I hope, Dominique, that you're having a bit of this nice fall weather. And I certainly hope those of you who are in places like California are getting a little bit of a relief from the fires. Our hearts certainly go out to you and to everyone who's just been having a tough time this year. So we're going to give you a little bit of a distraction. We're going to let you think about horses instead of the news of the day. So Dominique, jump in. What, What are we going to talk about today? I want to talk about extinction. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know, we usually talk about extinction in relation to positive reinforcement, but I think it's useful for horse people to be aware of how it relates to negative reinforcement and Uh even punishment. And, you know, that's something that we discuss in our Listen and Learn course. For those of you who already are registered in the course, we talk about it in episode 17, But it was such a great episode. I want to give a little sneak peek to people who haven't registered to the course yet. And just as a, as a, for, um, how do you say in English? Like a pre. A preview? Well, not a preview, but to let people know that we'll soon Ah. be opening a new promotion for the Listen and Learn course. And so if, if this tickles you, you may want to uh, look out for it. It's not open yet, but we'll let you know when we do that. Okay. As soon as you said, like the second sentence in, when you said extinction, it's like, oh, I know where you're going with this. You're going, you knew I was going there, I, huh? I thought, well, I didn't know. But as oh. soon as you said it, so I, as soon as you said it, it's like, oh, yes, because that was... It was Such a, great a cool episode. twist yeah, it was. on how so, we usually think about especially extinction. Especially the punishment one. But we'll start with the negative reinforcement one, which is probably, you know, easier to, or less surprising, I, I would say, okay. than the, the, the punishment one. But still, I think it's very important for people. Well, should we start instead with how we normally think about extinction? Yeah, well, let's let's define it. So in, in our course, we define it very simply. Extinction occurs when you discontinue the delivery of a reinforcer. And as a result, the behavior occurs less frequently. So that would be how I would define and how, you know, how we would define extinction. And so normally we think of, I've been reinforcing something. And and when when we say that, we're normally thinking about positive reinforcement. So I've been clicking and feeding my horse for... For, we'll do a simple, easy example. I've been clicking and reinforcing my horse for grown-ups are talking. Yeah. And he's standing beautifully next to me. I love what he's doing. I click, I treat, I click, I treat on whatever duration I have, whether it's a short duration or maybe he's accustomed to five, six, ten seconds of duration between clicks. It doesn't really matter. But I'm on this lovely duration. He gives me what he meets the criterion. I click and treat. He meets the criterion. I click and treat. He meets the criterion. The phone rings. 
I answer my phone. I'm ignoring my horse. He's giving me this behavior. He's expecting reinforcement. I've now put him into an extinction process. And that extinction process can be one that is has an enormous amount of frustration and confusion associated with it. And if you ride out all of the uh, cycles within an extinction process, you will get to the point where that lack of reinforcement appears to reduce the frequency of the behavior. And I say appears because the behavior will drop off in an extinction process, but under certain, the, the right conditions, nothing is ever, nothing is really truly ever extinguished. Right. So it can, um, it, can re- it, re- it can come back. And that's something that you, you have written uh, extensively on in your blog, The Joyful Horse. And I, we're going to talk about that a little bit later because I thought that series that you wrote on extinction. And this was in, uh, I looked it up just before we started recording. You did this in December 2016. If people want to go to your blog, The Joyful Horse, you did. So the, the blog would be theclickercenterblog.com. That's right. And then you'd look at the tabs at the top and for the contents, and you'll find the Joyful Horses tab, which takes you to the table of contents for for those posts, because it's essentially a book. Yeah. Um, Just to help people navigate, it's very useful to have the date, December 2016, because then you can use the little calendar on the right to to go also to the blog. And, And we'll talk about that later. And we've certainly, over the past podcast, you know, talked about uh, and nuanced the difference between micro-shaping and macro-shaping. And and micro-extinction and macro-extinction. Yes, I'm sorry. I wanted to say extinction, not shaping. Well, both both are good. Yeah, but I was was thinking um, extinction. Um, Another example maybe of uh, the process would be if we use, again, your example of grown-ups. Let's say in the beginning, your horse is doing grown-ups, but he has his ears flipped back when he's doing grown-ups. And so in the beginning, you're you're reinforcing everything. But then as you continue the process, you decide that you no longer want to reinforce uh, the instances when his ears are back. And so you withhold your click when the ears are back. And certainly one of the things that you have described in the blog and probably in our past conversation is that this can be a frustrating process if you don't set it up right. And there are strategies to make sure that selecting the grown-ups when their years are not flipped back can be done if it's prepared properly. You know, and um, one of the strategies certainly that you give is to make the ears forward a hot behavior beforehand. Yes. um, In order to prime the pump. You prime the pump, and when you start withholding the clicks, because you have reinforced ears forward a lot before and have made it a hot behavior, your chances are that the, the horse will offer this 
to you more readily anyway than if you had not primed the pump. Yes. Yeah. So the, that was for the uh, the definition. So you discontinue the delivery of the reinforcer, and what you see is that the behavior occurs less frequently. So now if we look at it from the negative reinforcement perspective, so let's let's look at an example. Let's say you have your horse, you're on your horse, you squeeze your legs and the horse trots and you stop squeezing. So this is, you know, your typical negative reinforcement situation in, in traditional riding. Now you have a kid on the horse. And the kid kicks, the horse trots, and the kid continues to kick so that there is no relief from the pressure, no reinforcement for the behavior. So over time, the more the kid rides this horse, the more you have to kick hard and then possibly even use a crop. And so that is the process of extinguishing the reaction of the horse to the milder cues that were used at the beginning of the training. And now people will say this horse is dead-sided, but really yes. what has been happening is that we have put him through an extinction process because we yes. stop providing reinforcement for the behavior. We stop relieving from, from the pressure of the legs, even though he was trotting. Yes. So we, we've, we've sometimes called this desensitization, but I think it's interesting to look at it from the extinction perspective as well. Yes, we've, we've, we've stripped that touch of the leg of any signal quality that it might have had through that form of an extinction process. Mm -hmm. And if we started to think about in our training or in um, interactions with people, all the places where that form of an extinction process has occurred and where the communication just breaks down and you end up having to, in quotes, shout louder. Mm -hmm. Escalate. Yeah. It happens so all the time. I mean, in the horse world, it's, it's, I mean, it's so typical. Yeah, and I'm thinking, I'm, I'm thinking in terms of, also in terms of people interactions. So, it, well, it's a small child example. Uh, and there's a, a great, it's a great cartoon that, and I think it's Mary Hunter who shows that, where this, this small child comes into the parent's bedroom and is going, Mommy, Mommy. And the parent is obviously trying to ignore the child to get a couple more minutes of, of sleep. And the child's going, Mommy, Mommy mommy and the parent continues to ignore the child and and then finally gives in and and, and says what and and the child just just wanted to say hello and runs out of the room um <laughs> no <laughs> but one of the problems with that is by delaying it you know by what you've what you've when you're trying to extinguish that unwanted behavior by not reinforcing it. Yeah. Then what you do is you build in this just huge, uh, re really resiliency oh, in yeah. terms of and persistence. I will keep. I will. I will. I will keep 
persisting in that behavior until I get a response. Well, it's it's one of the problems with extinction when you use it to suppress behavior is that we know that there will be an extinction burst. And if you give in during that extinction burst, I mean, now you've created an even more problematic behavior. Yes. Yeah. So it's, it's one, it's one of the, the problems with that. I mean, there are many... We, you know, I mean, usually clicker trainers say that they don't use extinction, although, again, we should really differentiate between macro and micro extinction. Right. People say they don't use it because there are better teaching strategies and certainly something that appears very reasonable to well, me to say. I, <laughs> I find that people are more likely to say they don't use punishment, as in positive punishment, mm-hmm. but they don't tend Unless well, they, they say they say because it creates it creates frustration. Right, but unless unless they have been in the clicker training world for a while, yeah, or looked at behavioral analysis. Generally speaking, people will say that they want to avoid positive punishment. They're mm-hmm. aware of punishment, yeah. and they they don't want to punish their horses, as in use aversive control. But they don't generally think about extinction. They don't generally say, you know, and I don't want to use extinction. Well, we've we've been hearing more about it. I mean, certainly you and I have talked a lot about it. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, that extinction used to be used to uh, help animals discriminate which cues were relevant and which were not. Right and that there are better strategies to teach that now without all the frustration right. and even aggression. I mean, sometimes, you know, and, and that's been documented, you know, where rats were put in a box and were reinforced for lever pressing, and all of a sudden the lever didn't produce foods anymore and the rat would bite the lever, or if there was another rat in the box, would bite the other rat, even though the other rat had nothing to do with the lever not producing food anymore. Right. So, yeah, so as, as I guess as people um, deepen their knowledge, they know more and more about right. uh, the, the frustration and the right. negative... As they become educated to this concept, then it goes into the category of, I need to be really mindful of and careful about the use of extinction. Yeah. But in their, the first approximation in, they will, people will say, you know, I just want to use positive reinforcement and I don't want to use punishment. Extinction isn't, isn't really part of that expression. Right. Yeah, so yeah. It's, it's, it's... It comes later, but even it that, comes later. You know, I think that there are lots of nuances that should be made because, for instance, you hear too that extinction is a very slow process. But I think probably, because I was thinking about that the other day, I was in the paddock with my horses and I wanted to groom uh, Pico and not not go because in in the summer paddock I have a big shelter and there's a I can close it down a little bit with a wire it's not electrified or anything so it's you know it's very it's a, it's a s- small separation but it works out you know and and I had Woody was eating his soup in the in the shelter and I and while he was eating his soup I wanted to brush Pico because he was really filthy and Bonanza was also in the paddock. I had given hay to Bonanza, great hay, 
But sure enough, there was a, a moment where, even though he had lots of hay, Bonanza wanted to interact with me because he was hearing, he was seeing that I was giving carrots to, uh, to Pico. And so he came over. But in this instance, I did use a little bit of extinction. Why? First of all, because I had never reinforced Bonanza when he comes to me like this while I'm grooming someone else in the paddock. So, you know, if there's a big reinforcement history and you start using extinction, it's not the same as if there's never been an ex an, a reinforcement history. And the reinforcement was me, was attention from me interacting from me. Because one of the problems with extinction very often is that you think, oh, I'm not going to feed the dog for barking at the other dog, but that's not the reinforcement that's maintaining the behavior. What's maintaining the behavior is that the dog is walking by and going away, and that's what's reinforced. So there's something else going on, and you can ignore it and think you're extinguishing it all you can. Something else in the environment is, is maintaining the behavior. So, you know, I think there's... there's um, it's, it's a complex subject. It's a fascinating one. And I think there are many, many layers to it. You know, I was, I was just on, on that. And then maybe we can go back to the punishment, the flip side. But I was reading regarding, the, you know, the fact that it's a slow process. Um, I was reading Paul Chance. You know, the, yes. Susan told us, you know, always go back to the textbook. So, you know, yes. they've been going back to the textbook. And Paul Chance writes, the rate at which extinction occurs depends on many factors, including the number of times the behavior was reinforced before extinction, which is what we just talked about, the effort the behavior requires, the type and size of the reinforcer provided during training, and the reinforcement schedule enforced prior to extinction, because you know, if a, if a behavior has been on an intermittent schedule of reinforcement, it will take much longer to extinguish than if it has been on a one every time the behavior occurs, uh, there's reinforcement. So, I mean, it's a, it's a rich subject, for sure. Yes. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah. Definitely. So, yeah, so that, that, uh, that other part that I thought in, in our course was so mind-blowing was um, when Mary Hunter brought up how we can relate extinction to punishment. Yes. So we're talking here about behaviors that have been suppressed by punishment, and now you stop punishing them, and the result is that the behavior increases. Yeah. So that was the mind blowing one. So we need yeah. to let people, we need to let that sink in for a moment. And so you've, you have. So maybe you can talk about, cause I know in the course you mentioned, you know, where you see this happening is when people start clicker training. And if there are new clicker trainings listening to this, your ear should be wide open about <laughs> this. Because, so maybe you can talk about. Well, that. it doesn't, right. So it doesn't always happen. No. It depends on the history of the horse. Right. Yeah. So, so suppose you have, you have successfully suppressed behavior. So you have this really what appears to be this lovely, mannerly 
horse who just stands to be groomed, stands for bridling, you know, you can lead it. It's uh, when you get on and you tell it, tell this horse to walk trot canter, it all but salutes before it does so. This is a very mannerly horse, meaning that when, it, when you give a signal, you get a response. And you have, somebody has, not you necessarily, but to get this horse to this, to this stage, the, there's been a suppression of a great deal of behavior. So maybe this horse has, has really been hit for any mouthiness. It's been punished for pawing. It's, it's, it has had any of the behaviors that humans do not find acceptable. This has been dealt with firmly and effectively. And you have the shutdown horse. Right. But what, as a clicker trainer, we would call a shutdown horse because the horse also doesn't offer it interactions with people. You know, he's not the first horse up at the gate. There's limited relationship interaction. But a lot of people would say he's a very quiet, nice, well-mannered horse. Quiet, well-mannered horse. And then... And that's why start... I bought him. Yeah, that's exactly right. And now I'm... I'm I, I, because everybody said, get a nice horse, and clicker training is a lot of yeah. fun. So right. I bought this horse, and now I'm expecting to have a lot of fun starting yep. to clicker train this horse. And, and you bought the horse. You've moved him to a new environment. So if we think about all the things that we've learned from Dr. Jesus Rosales-Ruiz on stimulus control and how much the environment very much influences slash controls behavior, Well, you've taken him out of the environment in which punishment is controlling his behavior, and you've brought him to your new barn where you are not using punishment. Yeah. And all of a sudden, all of those behaviors that were swept under the carpet, that were suppressed, you know, where you put the bookcase on top of them to keep them from squirming out from under the carpet, yep. <laughs> have now re-emerged right and so you have a horse who is uh, very protective because a lot of those behaviors that were being uh, suppressed were there and they were defensive behaviors and so you have a, a horse who is showing all of this defensive but very unpleasant and potentially dangerous behaviors such as biting right and when I first so when I first started clicker training I was introducing clicker training to horses that I knew and these were horses that I had a relationship with I hand feed my horses my clients hand use treats they didn't at that pre-clicker training they weren't using treats in a training type of situation they were using treats because it felt good to give their horse treats mm. but the horses were used to being hand fed And they had a good relationship with them. None of my clients were heavy-handed in terms of punishment. That just wasn't the kind of people that were attracted to the kind of work that I was, sure. was doing. Yeah. So, so these were not horses that were living under strong penalties of punishment. And so the transition into clicker training was very smooth sailing. 
And then I started sort of wandering out in terms of the horses I was encountering. I started doing clinics and I was working more with horses who I didn't know. And when I started riding and sharing clicker training via the internet, now we're getting even a broader range and mix of horses. And in and what started to crop up on the various forums, that lovely click L list, which was the original mm-hmm. clicker list where everybody in all species were were because it was still a small community and then it we sort of all branched out and branched out and added groups and added groups. But in any event, what we started to read about were these horses that were that became absolute monsters right. when people started clicker training. Mm-hmm. And there were a couple of, of answers to this. One was the handling was just too confusing. So the horse was new to clicker training. The person was new to clicker training. The person was often also new to horses, and they were inconsistent. So they were their hand was getting stuck in the treat pouch. They were missing clicks. They were not clear in their criterion. They were clumsy with the target. You know, there were just a lot of issues with the handling. And as soon as you clean that up, the behavior cleaned up. Okay, mm-hmm. that was that's that's that's. I want to say that's easy because it, it's something we can do something about directly. Mm-hmm. I can go practice my targeting skills. You know, I can move away from my horse and practice reaching into my pocket and getting a treat and, and that sort of thing so that I can I can take charge. I can take some control over how clear am I in my handling. Yeah. That was explained some of that behavior. But then there were some of these other horses that I just – thought, you know, I would love, I I wish I could bring one of those horses to my barn for a period of time so that I could work with and really learn about this particular scenario. And of course, I was boarding at the time and did not have, did not have that option because both boarding and traveling, so it was not going to be practical. But I was in touch with a number of people and, and helped to coach a number of people who had who were in this situation. And you kind of you, you want to say to them, well, when you get this happening, well, one choice that you have is simply to go back to punishing the behavior, yeah. suppress it again. And then the people would say, no, 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 I don't want to do that. That's not what I want. So, you know, there's got to be another way. And of course, there's the other way. And the other way is, all right, let's work with the horse, work with you, work through this extinction burst of hideous behavior. And that's in part where the loopy training comes into its own because you've got to find that clean loop, that little bit of a kernel of behavior that you can latch hold of and that you can focus on, and that excludes from that loop the universe of hideous behavior. It, it means that you start with protective contact. Right. You know, it means that you take time, that, that you're not rushing out to work in the arena. 
whatever dreams you had of, you know, I got this, this horse is, you know, I just got this off the track thoroughbred and, and he's so beautiful and he's so lovely and he's so scary. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I want to ride him and it's like, okay, we will ride him. But right now let's start with protective contact so he can learn the game. Mm-hmm. And so that in this environment, which is so different from his normal work environment, he can learn a different repertoire of behavior. Mm-hmm. And that understanding that you are dealing with poison cues, that you are dealing with an extinction process, yeah. I think really helps because now you don't have to take it personally. It's not about you. Yeah, one thing you said, um, I loved how you said that, you know, that when you see this, this flare-up of aggressive behaviors at the beginning, what you're seeing is the past revealed. Yes. But that you can build, that clicker training will give you a future. Yes. With this horse. I loved when you said that. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, exactly that. You are seeing past history uh, when you get the, this flare-up. And that when you use a positive reinforcement, you are very much, you are seeing the future. Yeah, because people tended, some people, especially if they were, they didn't know about clicker training, would have said, well, it's because of the clicker training. It's yes. because of the food. But that that is actually not how we look at it, not what no. we see. What we see is that there has been a, you know, there is a, a, a an extinction process going on because behavior has been, suppressed by punishment and now you have stopped punishing and the behavior is increasing and this is where building repertoire is one of the uh, keys to the kingdom and one of the keys to the future a harmony harmonious future with your animal so clicker training absolutely did not cause it but it is going to solve it that's you know i was just thinking a great example of that in a, a human example, would be teenagers who have been living in a very strict household yeah. where drinking is frowned on and not allowed. Mm-hmm. And then they go off to college and they become binge drinkers. Yeah. And they'll say, you know, the parents will say, well, that's, that's what college does. Yeah. Right? But it's the, remo- <laughs> it's the removal of exactly. the punishment that created and and it's it's like because you've suppressed it sort of like a spring that gets coiled tighter and tighter behavior increases it's the flip side when you release it it's a much it's much more of an explosive occurrence of the behavior yeah but i think it's for for beginner clicker training i think it's a very very important information and way to look at things to have yes and it's not we, I want to really emphasize that this is not, oh, I'm, I've got my nice horse and do I dare start clicker training because I have to go through this period of where he's a monster. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, most, most horses, it's very much smooth sailing. It's very much smooth sailing. But when it isn't, just remember that what you're seeing is your horse's past. Yeah. And it's not his fault. It's not your fault. And you, you are his teacher and you are going to help him through this. And you are giving him an enormous gift by helping him through it. Because think of 
the stress in that horse's life when you when you think for yourself if you've ever lived in an environment where that possibility of punishment was always present mm-hmm. and even though you think you figured out how to keep your nose clean as it were you know whether it's a work environment and you figured out you know oh i remember i i can't throw the blue piece of paper into the white waste paper basket. I have to throw it into the red paper basket because that's where wadded up pieces of blue paper belong. And if I throw it into the wrong paper paper basket, somebody's going to yell at me, you know, or whatever it is. You've managed, you think, to navigate this system. There's always that underlying threat that you'll do it wrong. And that's so stressful. Mm-hmm. So when we give our horses this incredible gift of being able to live in a clicker-trained environment and where we can take these horses who have had the handling from a very different kind of frame of reference, a different system, a different belief system regarding uh, training and animals in general, and we can change the environment and we can break the training down into small pieces. We can be that constructional trainer. We can look at the components that this horse doesn't understand that we're missing in the way that he was taught and to teach them with positive reinforcement so he can breathe when he's around us. Mm. That is just such, such an enormous gift. It is. So, on this positive note, let's look at extinction and how we can use it. Okay. Because when you can use it in a clever and careful way to your advantage. Yes. And that's one thing that you talk about in your blog, in the series uh, on extinction. And it's, it's really interesting because you... Um, I think you were just back from the go to five. You were on the a five, cruise. five go to sea. Yes, go, with yeah, Kay Lawrence with and, Kay Lawrence and and Kedra Ramirez. Jesus and Jesus had given um, a presentation on extinction and resurgence and yes. regression. And you yep. you explained the difference in your blog between the two, and it's a very very interesting series. That I'm, uh, it's certainly one of my favorite. Well, it was a brilliant. It was a brilliant lecture that presentation Jesus that Jesus gave. gave. Right. Yeah, just brilliant. You know, there's there's one thing in in there that another pearl that he brought in his presentation that you talk about, and because we we tend to think about extinction as something that goes on for a long, long, long time before extinction happens, you know, but he, in his presentation, he said that it's a process that can occur in seconds, you know, and when you're shaping, you're working with mini extinctions. So you don't have to go hours or even minutes for the extinction process to begin. It happens in seconds. So again, it was like, Ooh, that's something I never, you know, it's like, yeah, it's interesting. It's, there's so many layers, you know, always everything we learn, it seems that it never ends. And, and that's why I think that's why it's so important to think about 
extinction. Because again, when you're first starting out, you tend to think about, you know, I, yes, I want to be a positive reinforcement trainer. I'm going to use just, and I just want to use positive reinforcement, which is, you know, it's, which is a lovely statement, except yeah. that when you start looking at behavioral analysis, what you learn is that, you know, actually it's a little more complex than that. And, and so, yes, it's lovely that you, that we're trying to avoid punishment. And it's really lovely that we want to give the clarity that positive reinforcement, particularly when paired with the marker signal, that that provides. Or that it should provide. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> we try. Yes, yes we try. Yeah. Yes. But, and, and that when, we, when we're not quite <laughs> there, within literally the blink of an eye, you can be in an extinction process. So, yes. you know, when we're in the loopy training and you're, you're trying to build this nice pattern and when a loop is clean, you get to move on. And not only do you get to move on, but you should move on. So you say, okay, let me move on. And you make too big of a stair step. And all of a sudden, your horse can't track the change that you're trying to make, and you're not making sense anymore. And with literally in the blink of an eye, you can begin to see the little telltale signs of the extinction process. And and you want to you want to be we want, what we want to do, and the reason that it's worth talking about extinction. And I and I'm giving virtual clinics that this fall. So I've set up several clinics and the main theme of them is is extinction really which oh yeah okay yeah yeah (laughs) you know it's like oh right I just thought about that so I've got clinics coming up really all through October and into the first part of November and they're in different time zones so it can sometimes look like I'm giving the same clinic but if you look at the time zone you'll see that what I'm trying to do is because the, the group sizes are really small mm-hmm. is to make these presentations available because it's they're and they're very interactive so it's not like you're just sitting and listening to a webinar they're very interactive and you we work with video and- with video and there's lots of discussions and so on so even though I might start with the same presentation. Every weekend is different. Mm-hmm. So I've got them. People can go to my website, theclickercenter.com. I didn't realize that you, the, the main topic was extinction. Yeah, yeah. It looks like the planet are, are aligned. That's right. So I've given it a different name. I think okay. I call it what is constructional training. But uh, the, the starting point is looking at, at extinction because it really, when you're looking at why do we want to... Why do we want to take this errorless learning procedure? Mm-hmm. Why do why is constructional training such an important concept to understand? It's so that we can avoid the extinction process. Because I actually think extinction is, in a way, much more stressful and emotionally damaging than out-and-out punishment. Well, and then you have the learner who has experienced extinction in the past because, let's say, in your example that you were giving, you have given him too big of a step. Yeah. And as soon as he sees reinforcement going down when you're raising your criteria, he's out the door. Yeah. You know, he disengages because he doesn't want to go through the extinction again. He knows that's what's coming up. Yeah. And then you're feeling like, oh, but I, you know, I've got carrots in my pocket and clicker training is supposed to be fun. Right. And, and my horse just leaves, you know, and if that doesn't make you feel, you know, just like you're 
a complete failure. You know, <laughs> I've got carrots and my horse doesn't even want to play with me. And so, yeah, I think it's so important to recognize these these early signs of of confusion yeah. and frustration. Yeah. But then it's but it's learning how to use that little momentary because that's right. So that's what yeah. I want to read from your blog. Okay, there's one okay. part where you you describe how micro extinction can actually fuel creativity in your animal. Okay, it can do many things, but this is one example where it fuels creativity. And I thought this was so hilarious. So I'm going to read this. Okay. Um, I had a big laugh with this. So when Robin was three, I took him to the equine affair, equine affair to be my demo horse. I wanted to show people what free shaping via clicker training looks like. I didn't want them just to see the end product of free shaping. I wanted them to see me teach Robin a completely novel behavior. The problem was he already had a pretty extensive repertoire. I was stumped for ideas, but I thought the easiest solution would be to use a prop. One of my clients had been teaching his horse to flip a hula hoop over his head. I thought I could make a start on that with Robin. Robin had been our first equine retriever. Picking things up was solidly in repertoire. I figured if I put the hula hoop on the ground, he would try to pick it up. I'd be able to reinforce that and build it into Robin holding it longer, which might over three days of demos lead to him flipping it over his head. Such was my level of creativity. That's all I could think of to work on with a hula hoop. So during our demo, I brought out the hula hoop and tossed it out on the ground. I was still explaining free shaping to the audience, so I wasn't focusing yet on Robin. While I was talking, he walked over to the hoop and stood with his front feet planted in the middle of it, just as he would have stood on a mat. Before I could res respond to him, he reached down, picked up one side of the hoop, and began walking himself forward foot by foot with the hoop. That was his level of creativity. I mean, I thought that was so funny. Yeah, I did too, actually, when it happened. Oh my God, this is I hilarious. Yeah. Yes. So that small moment when you were not focusing and he went into a small micro extinction, but invented something else with the repertoire that he had learned. Yes. Yes. And that that's a technique that I was using with your horses where we wanted to see some, we wanted to explore novel behavior. Mm. So it was put in a lot of behaviors in repertoire. So they have a rich repertoire to work with and then see what they do with it, mm -hmm. which is so much fun. Mm. So much fun. And, you know, it's really extraordinary at times what pops out and just makes you chuckle because and it's one of those, I'm not really sure how to teach things in terms of how do you teach somebody 
who's working with a horse to follow the horse rather than direct the horse. Mm. Mm. So a lot of what we do with horses is about directing. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we have, even when we're using, uh, we're using, yes, it's a given, we're using positive reinforcement. But when we have got, a goal in mind, we have a goal in mind. Yeah, we want the horse to go forward more. And so we're not going to use uh, the traditional ways that we've been taught where, you know, we, so let me get out a ball and have the horse push the ball with his nose, click treat, push the ball with his nose, click treat. And then as he starts to advance towards the ball, I'll click and treat. And before I know it, I've got a horse going forward because the timing of my click was such that, that I got the forward movement, but I'm still directing it. Oh, and we can be pretty, um, I don't want to say, uh, we can be pretty, you know, we can be like, I want not four inches, I want five and a half inches. So we can be quite controlling, actually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and controlling in the nicest possible way. Or we can be so, um, I don't know that permissive is quite the right word, but we can be so amorphous with our work, you know, where it has no direction at all, that nothing really seems to to gel over time. You know, we just, uh, and it, it's not really satisfying for the person or the horse. I'm not coming up with the right word to, to describe that, but there's no, but so I this, this whole, I understand what you mean. Yeah, this whole, um, how can I, it, you know, you described in, I think it was the last podcast we did, that wonderful experiment with the pigeon pecking the banana, you know, where the, the pigeon had in repertoire getting up on a box and pushing a box. And there was a toy banana that was hung up uh, in the enclosure. And if the pigeon had those two behaviors, getting up on the box and pushing the box to a spot, the pigeon could solve the, the problem. This in is the in a minute. Yeah, this was Robert Epstein's work, yeah, who was yeah. B.F. Skinner's last graduate Whereas student. Whereas if the pigeon did not have the pushing the box in his repertoire, they would not solve the puzzle. They would not solve the puzzle. So so if I put in enough puzzle pieces, repertoire, into my animal, what interesting things do they generate out of that? So it's the generative theory of, of creativity, that, that nothing really comes out of thin air. Right. You know, when you have a, a brilliant new idea, well, that idea didn't just poof, appear from nowhere. It it came out of it came out of repertoire. It came out of things you've been reading, things that you've seen, YouTube clips that you watched. Maybe you watched a, a dog doing a trick and all of a sudden as you're working with your horse, you get an idea for I don't know, having a horse pull his, pull his foot forward using a hula hoop. I don't know. So it's, it's how do we set up and then allow and follow the horse's idea rather than inserting our own, which is whether it's a horse's idea or a child's idea or a co-worker's idea, that's 
an interesting skill, isn't it, to say? It is, and I noticed that in your work because, you know, you'll say often things like, you know the pause? Robin invented that. Yes. And it's become a, a, an important, or now, you, you, you know, there's grown-ups are talking and the pause where the horses lift their, their, at their pole. And yep. so he, and, and I hear you say that often. You know, or I've captured this, or I've captured that. Yeah. But, you know, you pa- panda invented panda catch. That's right. You say that yep. a lot. I noticed yep. that. Yeah. Yeah. And Bonanza, when I started doing the with him that the Liberty ground driving, that was his idea. Mm-hmm. You know, I let that. I followed his idea, so I followed him. And I remember the first time he Spanish walked. You said to me. Oh, look, we had done, I don't know what. And you said, this just popped out. Yeah. And the same with Zacho, the way that popped out. That was so much fun. That was just such a hoot. Because he'd shown, and even though that was a behavior that was in his repertoire, it predated any of my work. And he he had shown zero, zero sign of Spanish walk. But he knew it under saddle, not at He knew it, team. right, but we were yeah. not under saddle. Yeah, you were. So we were in a completely different context. Yeah. And But he had all the components. Right. And right. there was just that That's day right. that all of a sudden, poof, and it was just, and it was such an extravagant, glorious Spanish walk mm. that it was really fun. So, you know, to follow rather than mm. direct, to follow rather than redirect yeah that's very much in line with how you you view cues you know instead of yeah yeah you're you're always on the lookout for like the horse's perspective or what they bring to the picture or how they see things you know like when you're teaching cues you know you're looking for the associations that the animal is making uh in the environment and not imposing what you planned was going to be right. the cue in the beginning anyway. So it's it's been there a lot in your work, this, I would say, openness to the point of view of the horse. It's an openness to communication, isn't it? Mm. And it's an openness to acknowledging their intelligence. Yeah, their contribution. Their contribution and a real... It's more than a willingness to let them contribute. It, it's a real delight in, because yeah. often their ideas are so much better than mine. Well, like the hula hoop. Like the hula hoop, yeah, that's right. I don't think that's you right. would have ever planned to teach him that. No, that, was not, that, was, that one was not on my radar. Right. And, and, you know, and I, I do love those things. And it is, again, one of those interesting... I'll call it a life skill, one of those those things that we can ripple from the horses into our connection with other people. You know, how do I generate great ideas and and allow them to blossom mm. in the people I'm surrounded by? I would much rather be in communication with, in contact with people who are generating fun, brilliant new, different, other ideas than just the little repertoire that, that I've managed to think up. You know, it's so much more fun mm-hmm. to be 
in a group of people who are generating new ways of, of thinking about things. That's one of the things that I so enjoy about the clinics is all these connections that we make, the things that we hadn't seen before. The you know the like the this discussion of extinction in relation to punishment when Mary Hunter brought that up. I mean, what fun is that to think of it? You know, I hadn't thought of it. Yeah, that punishment when we remove punishment. That that is a form of an extinction process. Right. Fascinating. Yeah. It was, so yeah. so that this what the horses have can teach us is yes, there's a place where we do want to guide, we want mm-hmm. to direct. And then as we build that repertoire, we also want we want to create the freedom, the opportunity to let them express, you know, what's the expression that Jesus has that behavior is, is, is permitted. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we give them permission to express. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So I think people should go on your blog and read uh, all about it. I think they would also see some of the strategies that, Yep. You suggest to not put your horse in a macro extinction, but, you know, keep using micro extinction to get what, the, the, the behaviors that you're looking yes. for. And, um, and if people want to hear more about the, um, you know, the, the, the discussion on the punishment and we, in the course, of course, we go through all the, uh, the quadrants and we add the extinction at the end of that conversation, but there are many, many more topics that are discussed with uh, Mary, you and I. And so we'll be, uh, we'll be announcing soon a promotion so you can look for that um, yes. in future yes. podcasts. That's and right. We'll put, and we'll put the link to your blog uh, in the okay. show notes. Yeah. Okay. And if they want to dive into a weekend uh, and immersion into this topic, there are also the, the virtual clinics as well. So lots of opportunities to explore it in more depth. Right. Yes. So we'll, we'll wish everyone uh, a very safe stretch now in terms of stay, staying healthy, staying away from the virus, staying away from fires. And I hope that they have a really good fall. Good October, since we're just at the start of October. So, great conversation. Thank you. Thank you. We talked about blog posts, courses, virtual clinics. You may be feeling a little confused about where to find what. So here's the quick summary. To read the blog posts on extinction, go to my blog, theclickercenterblog.com. Probably the easiest way to get to the post is to use the search function in the blog. Just scroll down the page and you'll find the search function and use extinction as the keyword. Then there's the listen and learn course that Dominique talked about. You'll find that at our website, equosity.com. We launched the course last spring. It's an introduction to applied behavioral analysis. Mary Hunter is our guide in that course. We've done several podcasts with Mary, so if you want to meet her and find out a little bit more about her, you can look up those podcasts as well. The Listen and Learn course is available now 
you can absolutely sign up for it, but you may want to wait. In November, we're going to be offering a holiday discount on the registration fee. We'll be announcing more details over the next couple of weeks. And then there are the stay-at-home virtual clinics. Extinction is the starting point for several of these clinics. Look for the clinics on constructional training. I begin those with a presentation on extinction. So this topic forms the starting point for the weekend's discussions and training sessions. Visit the events section of my website, theclickercenter.com, for details. It will look as though I'm giving the same clinic several times, but it's always a study of one. I may be starting with the same presentation to get the ball rolling, but what we cover is very much a function of who attends. Group size for these clinics is small, so I'm offering the clinics in different time zones to give more people an opportunity to attend. When you look at the schedule, you may find that a time zone that is different from the one in which you live actually fits better into your life. So pick a date and pick a time zone that suits you, and I hope to see you at one of these clinics. So just again, in summary, we've got a couple different websites to visit. For the blog uh, and the blog posts on extinction, you'll go to theclickercenterblog.com. Remember, you have to have the the in the title, theclickercenterblog.com. For the Listen and Learn audio course on applied behavioral analysis, you'll go to equiosity.com. And for the stay-at-home virtual clinics, you'll go to my main website, theclickercenter.com, and you'll go to the events section there. So stay safe. And for those of you living in the U.S., do, do please vote. Not to decide is to decide. So not voting is taking an action. And I hope for all of you, when you vote, that you'll do so thinking about what is good for not just each of us in our individual lives, but also what is good for the planet as a whole. So vote, vote well, and stay well.